Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Hello, this is Trina with Parenting for Liberation, and today I have a conversation with Claudia Walker, who is from the Bay Area. She's an educator, a mother of three, a published author of a book called The ABCs of HBCUs that we're going to get into. Of course, because that's the book she wrote. She's definitely um, an HBCU alum. She went to Spelman um, and she's the founder of HBCU Prep School. And so we're going to get into that and talk about HBCUs and what does it mean to have pro-Black educational experiences. So welcome to the podcast, Claudia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and this incredible book that you recently published, The ABCs of HBCUs. Sure. So as you mentioned, I am a native of Oakland, the Bay Area. And I, um, in addition to growing up here and going to school here, I also am now raising a family here. So I'm the proud mom of three children. Uh, My daughter is the oldest, and then I have two sons under her. And I am also an educator. I've been working in a lot of different capacities in education in the Bay Area, primarily in Oakland, but I've done some work in San Francisco. And I, you know, once I graduated, I, as you mentioned, I, I went to Spelman College and came back and after having my children and working in education was really encouraged and inspired to write some book about my experience at historically black college. And so I recently wrote a book called the ABCs of HBCUs, which was really intended to highlight and celebrate the legacies of black colleges. As you know, Uh, Since we're both here on the West Coast, we don't have the same level of of access or our children, our students, young people don't have the same level of access to Black colleges as those that live in the South or on the East Coast. And so the book was really my way of trying to share that Black, that Black excellence that, um, you know, is, is really key to the HBCU experience in a book so that regardless of where students, where children are living, they can get a little slice of, of HBCU culture. Yes, yes, I definitely resonate with that. Being in Los Angeles and going to school in Los Angeles and staying in California, um, I definitely didn't get that experience Um Personally, being on the West Coast, I didn't grow up aware of all of the HBCUs. And so I would love for you to share um, about how beneficial having an Afrocentric um, collegiate experience can be. Um, And can you talk about why HBCUs were even established um, and describe what it means to be on a historically back campus? Yeah, for sure. So 
I am, you know, really blessed that my mom attended an HBCU. She was born and raised in Georgia. And so she attended Savannah State College at the time, now university. And so she would always share with me her experiences of, of attending an HBCU. Um, and so I was really fortunate to be able to go on a black college tour during my senior year in high school. And for me, it was transformational because I had prior to that, I had attended predominantly white schools. And so stepping onto the, the college campus, the tour was within the Atlanta University Center. So that comprised at the time Spelman, Morehouse, Clark, Morris Brown, and ITC, which is a theological seminary. And being able to step onto a campus where the entire school just affirmed and uplifted you was unlike anything that I had ever experienced. And so I made the decision to um, to go to Spelman College. And as you mentioned, you know, I came in as an English major, but in addition to just being surrounded by people who, who look like you, who share, I can say share a similar experience, but that actually is, is not completely the case. Um, you go to an HBCU and you think, all right, there are going to be a ton of Black folks and, and they're, they're all like me. And I think the beauty of it is that they're not. Um, as, as we know, you know, Black folks, people across the diaspora are so different. Um, but for me, it was, it was incredible to see that not only were there in, you know, because I went to Spelman, there were women there. So there were not just Black girls, Black women from California, but they were from all over the country and from all over the world. And that spoke to, I think, what was really key for me in my freshman year experience. Although I was an English major, we were all required to take a class called African Diaspora in the World. And I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but before going to Spelman, I had never heard of the diaspora. Never. I thought that, you know, all Black people lived in in America or in some country in Africa. I didn't really understand that there were people of African descent that were living all across the world. And so that's what it was like to, to go to a Black college, to learn things about yourself, to learn things about your culture that you had never been exposed to before. And so that for me is what really made my experience, um, apart from just the, the social aspect of, of, as I mentioned, being in a space where you didn't have to explain or justify your existence, that was really uh, central to my experience. And I think just most people's experiences at Black colleges and, and having that Afrocentric um, education, educational experience. Yes. I mean, what you're saying is definitely that we are not a monolith, right? That Black is expansive from across the diaspora. We're so different. Um, and I, I appreciate you naming like, you know, there's some things that you didn't learn, right, beforehand. And for many students, honestly, college is the very first time that they have the opportunity to learn about Black history, Black American history around uh, Black history that's in, throughout the diaspora, right? Um, and you you know, had the benefit of learning that in an institution that really centers the Black experience and Afrocentric education. Um, and I know, you, you know, you said you're an educator as well, you know, here. And so I'm curious about um, 
how HBCUs differ in the ways that they aid, you know, students in the unlearning of what we've been taught. Because typically we learn Black history begins with slavery and then they skip from emancipation to uh, the bus boycott. You know, those are like, that's the right. gist of Black history, right? And so how do HBCUs differ um, in supporting children, Black students and unlearning what we've been taught? And how does it empower our children um, in the classroom, in our lives and beyond? Yeah, I mean, it really, for me, what I remember most about my experience, because you you go to college and when you're in high school, you know, of course, you sit down with counselors and they tell you to look at different schools. What do you want to study? What are the things that you think you love? And I think most students go to college with that on the forefront of their mind. Okay, I've, I've, I've made a decision to attend this university this is what I'm going to be studying. This is my major. You know, maybe they've thought a bit into the future about what they ultimately want to become or how they want to serve once they graduate. And so it's this really neat and tidy package of this is what I'm majoring in. Maybe, you know, this is how I'll spend my summers, this internship, and this is ultimately what I'm going to be doing. And when I walked onto Spelman's campus, it was that was secondary. Everyone had to take classes that taught us about our culture. And there were Ulato Equiano, Phyllis Wheatley. There were people that I had never heard of before. And I think that was the beginning of deconstructing what I had been taught in not just high school, but, but prior to that. Um, seeing Black professors teach on campus was central to that experience as well, because they were not just teaching based off of uh, some some textbook, right? Some McGraw-Hill book. They're, they're teaching out of um, books that they, in many cases, had authored, research that they had done about African history, about Black American culture, and also bringing in their own experiences, right? Teaching through that lens. And so, um, and, and, you know, I also must say, for because it's an all-women's college, it was taught through that lens of what it means to be a woman in America, what it means to be a woman of African descent. I had never had that experience before. I didn't understand that what we're taught it's it's not only about the, the the material, but it's the context. It's it's the the lens through which we see ourselves. It's about whose dominant narrative are we being taught? And so Spellman just kind of threw everything up in the air and said, "Let's reimagine. Let's reconsider uh, all the things that you have been taught before, and and let's look at it from this angle." And so for me, that was that was revolutionary, and it, it really made me start to change the way that I thought about myself and the way that I thought about those who came before me. Uh, and so, you know, again, it was, it was an, an, an incredible experience. Mm, it sounds like it was so rich um, and somewhat different than my experience. I went to UCLA here in California. Um, and I remember similarly, we had to take, they may, they may not be called like, you know, learning about yourself and your culture, but we had to take these general education courses that were about like more cultural awareness, cultural competency, um, those types of things. And I took this three semester, three quarter class called um, interracial dynamics. And it looked at race um, and it was a 
like again, three quarters. And I definitely intentionally selected to go to the to the class that had the um, the black teaching assistant in that class and that subgroup. Um, and our professors were folks of color for that class because it, it was multiple professors who taught the class over the course of the whole school year. And it was a class for freshmen um, to opt into. And you could choose different theories and I chose this one. But I remember learning and, and, and being in that class as a freshman and being like one of the few black students in that class um, one of those massive auditoriums. And I remember being partnered with a student, who, a non-Black student, and it was about like our experiences and learning about different races and cultures, right? And so I remember in that class, a student saying to me, um, you know, you're nothing like I thought you would be. And I was oh, like, wow. well, you don't even know me. Like, what do you mean? Right, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, and she's like, you know, you're nothing like I thought you'd be. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, like, like, like on TV, like black people are on TV. And I was like, whoa, let me look at TV with the lens that this is what people think I am. Right. And that's what made me become a communications major because I was like, oh, wow, like images and messages. This is how people are learning about culture um, and learning about black people. Um, I just think about that experience because though we may have, right, you're in your freshman class learning about culture and I am too, but I'm learning about it with this external gaze right with this Mm -hmm. um with Mm -hmm. other people who are looking at you from an external gaze that is uh that's invasive a little bit and it's not the same as being in the community of folks who are trying to explore this thing about ourselves collectively together although we are very different and so i just think about the power of learning um in a safe space in a sacred space right um where we're all learning um in a collective space um and so I just think about the power of that. And, and it makes me think about um, it makes me think about how the types of schools like predominantly white schools or these, you know, um, white institutions um, are often lifted up as better than um, better than and will get you more access to more things than going to an HBCU. And so I'm curious as to why you don't think HBCUs and Afrocentric education in general, why it doesn't receive um, the same credibility as these um, private white institutions? Well, that, that's a question that I get a lot. And I also constantly am being asked if HBCUs are still relevant today. Why do they need to exist? Um, as though the fact that theoretically, Black people can apply to and attend any institution now means that there's no space for historically Black colleges. And so, uh, you know, the the idea that there's uh, these group of schools that are more elite than other schools or that provide a better education is a myth that's predicated on white supremacy. This idea that, you know, the, the, more, um, the more white people, uh, the, the greater the history of trauma and exclusion of a certain group of, of people means that an institution is better. I think for many spaces, it's about the old boy network, right? It's about people who, I mean, it, it, the, the myth, I think, hopefully, that certain schools are better should have been shattered when we found out about the whole college paying for access to, you know, admissions. The idea that people can use their privilege, can use their access, their wealth, their resources to 
pay for their children's way into a school lets us know that this is all a myth. Um, And when we look at HBCUs, the fact that they have historically been created to serve Black people, well, that in and of itself has created this myth that they are not inclusive, that they are not selective, and that they don't prepare students for the real world. And I've I've heard that from not only white people, but from black people. I've heard it from black parents that say, I don't want my children to go to an HBCU because it's not the real world or it's not going to prepare them. And to that, I say, I mean, we, we can look at examples like Kamala Harris. We can look at Stacey Abrams, we can look at Spike Lee, we can look at Toni Morrison. I mean, the list goes on. Dr. Martin Luther King, the list goes on. But I would say from my personal experience, when I I told you that I, I came into Spelman as an English major, and I ended up on Wall Street <laughs> as in a, you know a graduate of Spelman, an English major. I interned for uh, an investment bank in New York going into my senior year and was hired from a different investment bank once I graduated. And I had actually spent, it's funny because I, part of the program when I was a junior going into my senior year that summer, I interned, but they also sent me to uh, like a training program at Dartmouth, which is considered to be one of the Ivy Leagues. And they had targeted students from Spelman, from Morehouse. There were a couple students from Howard. And we were part of this cohort that was supposed to go in and help Wall Street diversify itself. And the people who were in the program at Dartmouth that were not part of our cohort were really mystified that we were there. They couldn't believe that these Black kids could be part of this program. And in addition to that, we were after the program, we were going to spend time on Wall Street. And that wasn't the case for many of the people who were in our program. And so they kept prodding, how did you get here? How did you, how did you end up on, on Wall Street? And I remember one person saying, I would absolutely sell my soul to be in your position. And I'm thinking, okay, no, no soul selling here. You know, this is just an experience. But I say all that to say that that opportunity was afforded to me because the dean in my department had gotten information about this program and hand-selected me. She said, I know that you are an English major. I also know that you're interested in business because we've had those conversations before. I think that you would be perfect for this program. She also knew that I had a dream of going to New York. I wanted to, you know, from California, I'm a big city girl. I always dreamed of going to New York. And I can't imagine that that would have been my experience at a predominantly white institution or at a much larger institution. The fact that the dean knew me, saw this program and said, hey, this will be good for Claudia for these three reasons, and then sent me the information, wrote a letter of recommendation for me, is something that I'm, I'm forever grateful for. And, and that's just one of the many experiences that I had on my HBCU campus where professors and other students and the RA on my on the floor of my dorm really encouraged and nurtured and supported me to do very specific things. And so, you know, that is 
to me why HBCUs are so vital for our community, for the continuation of the culture, for um, economic and, and educational empowerment. They're vital and there are no other schools that can actually replicate or no other schools in, in the higher education space, should I say, that are actually replicating that experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can't believe someone just made assumptions about the schools and, and people still do make assumptions about the schools. I've been told, you know, that's when I had my conversations with folks about the schools and their, not about their relevance. I'm surprised that people question their relevance in this moment. Um, in yep. this moment, it's a very surprising. Um, and I know you're an educator and you talked about um, the significance of these schools in, in for college level. Um, but I'm curious because we know the education system was not built to support a power and uplift or prepare black children. Right. How can Correct. parents cultivate pro, like a pro black educational um, philosophy at home? How can they do that in elementary, in daycare, in high school, in middle school? How can they cultivate that early on so that when they are preparing their children to go to college, that it's an obvious option and not something they have to kind of, you know, push for? Yeah. So when I I wrote the book, The ABCs of HBCUs, to do just that. And then I, when I finished writing the book um, and I found an, well, when I finished writing the book, I thought, this has been pretty exhausting. I'm, you know, I'm a mom, I'm homeschooling my youngest child. And because of COVID, all of my kids were, were at home in some capacity. So I was essentially homeschooling all of them. Um, And so I was a bit, and I had my full-time job as a teacher. And so I was a, a bit tired and I thought about going the traditional publishing route and trying to uh, have a, a traditional publisher take the project on. And then I, I thought otherwise, because I wanted to have control over the project. I wanted to have control over the images in the book. And so I ended up finding an illustrator who also coincidentally attended Spelman College. We weren't on campus at the same time. We don't have any mutual friends. So I found her. And then I decided to launch my own publishing company so that I could continue to create resources and books and materials that would share stories for children of of Black excellence and Black culture and things that you just traditionally don't learn in, in, you know, our our school systems. And so the answer to the question is parents have to be very intentional about what we are teaching and how we are teaching. And so it's, it's, you know, getting resources that will teach your children about the innovators in, in our world who have changed the, the face of their communities, and in many cases, the face of the world. It's bringing in resources where your children can see themselves reflected in the, the images. And so I'm not just talking about you know, children's literature, reading books, but even math books, 
You know, oftentimes math books will have characters in them. Do those characters look like your child? Do the names, you know, of the, the when, when you're reading word problems or your child is reading word problems, do the names even in those word problems reflect those of, of children in your, in your family, in your neighborhood? Those are all really intentional um, factors that we have to be aware of and that children are listening to. Right. The, what, the things that I'm learning, the things that I'm reading about, does that include me? How does it shape how I view myself in my world, in my community, in my home? And so as parents, we already know that the educational system was not created to support our babies. So we have to make sure that we're doing the work. The school that you wish, you know, if you're if you're if you are if you're homeschooling, that was an intentional decision. Um, but I think many people would say, if I had schools in my community that were inclusive, that embraced my values, that embraced our culture, that that embraced parental support and input, I think a lot more people would be excited about sending their children to, you know, their neighborhood or their community schools. And so if that is not something that you're able to do, then how can you create your dream school in your home? Or if you are sending your children, you know, outside of the home to school, then how are you able to supplement, right? And to, to fill the gaps or the void that, um, that that's not being filled in the traditional school system. Those are such good questions. Like how can we as Black parents who are for liberation or who are for a, a pro-Black experience, how can we supplement the, the what they're learning in schools, their curriculum? And I talk sometimes about that, like how active I am in my child's school and going to his class because he doesn't go to primarily Black school or a school that has a lot of educators of color because of where we live, right? Our location kind of determines that a lot of times. Um, and so asking that question is like, how are we able to supplement? Do you have any resources um, that you'd like to share for parents and students who are interested in learning more about pro-Black educational experiences, whether that be HBCUs, um, you mentioned your publishing house um, and the HBCU prep school. And so just like, what are some of the resources that you would share coming out of um, the work that you're doing that folks can use to supplement if they're not? Sure. So, of course. So we, um, as I mentioned, we have the book, which is um, our our first product that we have out. We are working on supplemental uh, resources. So we have a coloring book coming out, but I'm really, really excited about three other products or three other projects that we're working on, and those are activity books. And so I'm the type of mom who, um, when my kids come home, I really am trying to supplement, give them something additional to do, um, and, and specifically during the summer, if they're not in an organized program, I try to get these workbooks and have them work through it, and oftentimes they, they can be very self-led, and so that is what we are doing with um, our ABCs of HBCUs. We have an activity book that's coming out for the elementary school kids. We have one for middle school and one for high school. And so you imagine a traditional activity book where, you know, children are, are working kind of page to page on, on math and language arts and culture, art. 
that's what we're doing, but it's really focused on this Black college experience. So children are being exposed to um, notable alums who have graduated from HBCUs. They are being exposed to different majors. So, for example, there are certain schools like Morgan State that teach um, Swahili, they teach Japanese, they teach Wolof, which is uh, another African language. Uh, they teach Spanish, Portuguese, I mean, just a wide array of, of languages. And so we're exposing children to different arts programs. So it'll, it's a really fun and interactive and engaging, full color, full illustration book where children will be able to work age appropriately from third grade through 12th grade and learn more about Black colleges, learn more about Black culture, and learn more about the, the you know, notable people who have come out of and really shaped the face of, of Black colleges and our world. Um, I'm also working on another book called The ABCs of Black Wall Street. And I have to say, I'm, I'm really excited about that book because the, the HBCU Prep School is a pub, our publishing company, and we are centering stories for Black children that focus on Black excellence and Black joy. And so although, you know, Black Wall Street, many times when people talk about it, they talk about the trauma, the tragedy, the massacre. That's not what this book is about. This book does not center whiteness. It doesn't center Black Black trauma, it centers Black joy. And so we focus on the amazing innovators, the activists, the entrepreneurs, uh, and even those who, whose names we don't yet know, uh, because history hasn't, um, history does not always remember some of the people who have struggled and, and lost their lives in, in Tulsa in 1921. But this is really a story about Black joy and Black entrepreneurship. And similar to our, our ABCs of HBCU series, we'll also have workbooks that come out that teach children about financial literacy and about Black economics and, and about cooperative uh, community and cooperative economics. And so we are really trying to create books and, and, and education where children teachers, community organizers, community organizations uh, can really find us as a one-stop shop where you can find resources and books that, that celebrate the Black experience and, and tell stories that have often gone un, untalked about and unknown. Yes, I love talking about the Black experience without centering the white gaze. I love the idea of like not talking about you know, Black trauma only, but talking about Black life, Black joy, Black entrepreneurship, Black, um, just Black business, Black excellence, you know, like how do we yeah. highlight and center on the incredible um, innovation and greatness that we are as a people, as a culture um, across yeah. the world. So that's so right. Thank you. Yeah, Black families, right? I mean, just who we are as, as a, you know, our, our own community and our families, what we do within our homes and, and outside of our homes. That's what we're really trying to highlight and celebrate. Yes, it's so important. It's so needed um, right now and always. Um, before we close, I do want to invite you to share a couple of things. Um, one, I'm curious if you have the book nearby, if you want to read a page from the book as we close and then also share with folks where they can get the book. 
um, and your website or any kind of social media that folks should should follow you to get access to all these incredible resources that you have? Oh, sure. Uh, I do have the book close by. Uh, One of my favorite pages is the letter J. And the letter J says, J is for the 80% of Black judges who graduated from an HBCU, like Jackson State in Mississippi and Johnson C. Smith, too. And so I, I love that page because people, I think, don't always recognize the, the numbers and the statistics. There are, you know, 80% of Black judges have graduated from an HBCU. I think the number is about 80% of Black medical professionals graduated from an HBCU. 50% of Black teachers graduated from an HBCU. So Black, so black colleges are really creating our black thinkers and black leaders in the world. And so that's, that's something that I, I really love to highlight. And in terms of where people can find us, we are, our website is hbcuprepschool.com and our social media handles on, on all platforms is HBCU Prep School. I'm most active on, on Instagram. So that's where you can get the most recent updates about what we're doing and different projects that we're working at, different projects that we're working on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for reading that page. I actually got a chance to go visit Jackson State um, when my god sister drove me to Mississippi um, from California. That was a long car ride. Wow. And um, <laughs> she actually was trying to introduce me to to eight to HBCUs when I was in um, middle school and she had purchased um, a home in Mississippi where her fan, where her people were from. And she, you know, now that you say that I was like, Oh, I had the opportunity, but it wasn't something that was cultivated in my personal home. Um, so I didn't even see that opportunity. I missed that opportunity, but um, the opportunities will become available for my children. Um, I'm definitely, definitely advocating, supporting, encouraging, whatever the right word is, um, my children to go to an HBCU um, for that experience that you described that 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 can't be replicated or duplicated anywhere else. Um, and so right. I'm looking forward to 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 living through to living and being able to go and experience that, um, even if it, it's just a black college tour experience with them um, so that they have access to that and see that it's possible. Absolutely. And I, I think tours are so important because, as you said, you know, Mississippi, my, my family's from Mississippi as well. And coming from California, it can sometimes be a culture shock, right? And so I think, and not every HBCU is for everyone. So I think that's why it's so important to expose children to as many schools as possible, um, you know, potentially through a tour, or maybe, you know, each summer, we can pick a destination that might have you know, three HBCUs within the vicinity, plus something else that we can do. Maybe it's a theme park or maybe there's some museums that we can visit so that, you know, over time, children have that exposure and they can say, well, this school I wasn't necessarily feeling, but when I went here, that felt different. And so I, I really applaud the work that you're doing and and I'm with you. I'm, I'm trying to expose my children and my students as much as I can, because HBCUs are such an important part of not just Black culture, but American culture. Yes. Amen and Ashe. Well, thank you for joining us on our podcast. Uh, we will put the links to um, to your website and your work 
Um, thank you so much for all that you're doing to cultivate and raise awareness and shine light on Black ex excellence um, and giving us the ABCs and the rundown of all of these incredible things from HBCUs to Black Wall Street. I'm looking forward to that book as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate the work that you're doing as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed, no more back with thinking, time for thinking. Ahead.